We're in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Also, happy birthday to Barb Cooper today. It's a blessing. And uh, it's just always a, always a fun thing to celebrate birthdays. gets less fun every year, but it's how it goes, I guess. Judges chapter 6. When we're reading about the greats in the Bible, we often see that when God calls someone, he confirms that call. He gives an assurance connected with that call. Uh, those assurances will fit the assignment so that the more unusual the task, the more definite the confirmation. I think, just as an example, the dream and the angel that visited Joseph and the angel that visited Mary as they were about to uh, become expecting of the child of the Son of God, essentially. And so uh, that, that was a major event, and they got confirmation uh, in a very specific way. Gideon's task that he is uh, commissioned to do here is out of his arena. It's out of his comfort zone. It's not his speciality. Uh, he's called to do the exceptional, the abnormal, uh, at least for him. He was uh, to lead an outmanned uh, Israeli army against a multitude of Midianites. So in view of all that, it's not surprising that God confirmed his will to Gideon in several different ways. And so tonight we're going to look at some of those. Uh, specifically, three ways the Lord's will was confirmed to him. The fortifying of the spirit, the following of the soldiers, and then of course the one we know so well, the fleece. Of the sheep. So let's look at these three different areas. Judges chapter 6, we're starting at verse number 33. Then all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezar was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and also gathered after him, and he sent messengers unto Asher and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only, and if it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. We'll see in a minute if that's true. Will he really know? And it was so, for he rose early in the morning, thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this only with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. I have to think, Gideon's spending all that day, maybe it just happened. Maybe the dew got wet, or the, the fleece got wet. Maybe it was just a freak accident, and so he comes back with his second request. And God did so that night, for it was dry up on the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Father, I pray you'd help us now as we look at this lesson tonight on confirmation of the will that you had for Gideon. Some lessons in it that I think we can learn as well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The great enabler for God's work in your life is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not absent here in Gideon's life either because it says in verse 34, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. 
He was fortified, empowered by the Spirit. Now, the word came there means to put on, to be clothed with. The word gives a, the word meaning anyway, gives a vivid description of the Holy Spirit like a suit of armor so that he might be invincible. Now, it happened right after the Midianite raid into the land, just before this The Spirit came in verse 33. It said, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the children of the east, were gathered together, went over. In other words, they went over the river Jordan and uh, pitched or they set up camp in the valley of Jezreel. Since it was harvest time, it was that time that these marauders would come and they would basically steal the harvest of all the the, uh, Israelites' labor. And this time, though, something has changed. They do not know it yet, but God is going to get involved. And it's a great thing for us to recognize that when our troubles and God meet, something good is going to happen. Because God is always bigger than our troubles. It does not matter what situation we find ourselves in, God is bigger than our troubles. So when God gets into the mix of you and your troubles, you can expect deliverance. However, we've already looked that it did take some housekeeping for the Israelites. They did have to tear down some idols. They had to get some things right before God could do this work in their life. But here comes Midian, and they're not going to be successful in their pillage this time because God has called a man. He's now enabling a man through the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's a blessing to see that God uh, was able to counter the Midianite invasion. We see here in verse 33, then all the Midianites gathered together. Verse 34, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. God had his man. The then of the Midianites was count and was countered or offset with the but of God. Look at what it says. Then the Midianites gathered together, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. The enemy invasion here signaled the Spirit of God to come on Israel's deliverer. So when God's people are willing to serve him and do right and keep him first and tear down the idols in their life, then we can expect the then of the enemy to be encountered by God. The then of the enemy is always going to happen in our life. It's always going to be there. It was mentioned earlier, the things that we're dealing with today, I never thought I'd be dealing, uh, or that we would be dealing with these type of things, but uh, it makes you wonder what we're going to be dealing with in a year. We just don't know. But, but God is always in control. He is never caught unprepared. Uh, the, 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 he has his man. Uh, his people ready at the instant that they are needed, and then he empowers those people through his spirit to do the job. So this is a blessing, the fortifying of the spirit. We see when it happened, and then look at the result. As soon, in verse 34, as the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then the Bible says he blew a trumpet. Now this is not a musical celebration. This was a trumpet call to war. Israel wanted, he was inviting essentially Israel to come and fight against the Midianites who had just invaded the land. Now, previously, the Midianites, when they invaded, all the Israelites ran to their hideouts in fear. Remember that in the first part of this story, we're reading about the coves and the the valleys and the, the things they were hiding in. But now, Gideon opposes the Midianites. He courageously calls on others to join with him. And this invasion stirs up in him and then in them, in them, not to run and hide this time, but to stand up to them. The man who before 
was cowering and hiding from the Midianites. Remember when the angel came, he was doing it in secret. Uh, Now, the difference that we find in Gideon is amazing. What is the difference? The power of the Holy Spirit. That's what's the difference. And that's the difference in our life as well. Uh, This happens in the life of a Christian who will yield him or herself to the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God is not wanting us to cower in fear from anything. We are to uh, enter the arena with power. God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us fulfill that calling. Acts 1.8, But ye shall receive uh, the power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. The power comes after the Spirit comes. We know today that we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation as the earnest of our salvation. We're sealed until the day of redemption through the Holy Spirit. So the power then comes through that Holy Spirit. We work by the power of God and it will be obvious to all those around us. Now, the blowing of the trumpet was a practical sign of the Spirit of God working in Gideon. Calling Israel to war against Midian is what God had called Gideon to do. That's what he was supposed to be about. So, just just making this point, when the Holy Spirit is working in us, it will be evidenced in a way connected to our task. That's how he works. The best revealer of the Holy Spirit is not some useless babbling in tongues in the middle of a church service. Rather, it is the faithful performing of our duty. The fruit of the Spirit, we can read in Galatians uh, 5, gives us very clearly love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all those things. Uh, That's the fruit, not some kind of uh, useless foreign languages. God is not in the business of bestowing on us this divine gift of the Holy Spirit just so that we can do some confused yelling in a church service. Uh, We have to realize that the Holy Spirit is given to us to do God's work for Him. To do the work we're called to do. And that's what Gideon was about here. It wouldn't have helped Gideon at all to start talking in tongues here. But it did help when he picked up the trumpet, put his lips to it, and blew the call to war because that was connected to his calling. Just a little extra, and we won't even put any extra on your bill uh, for that. That comes free. Uh, Why did this need to happen? Gideon could not have fulfilled his work without the work of the Holy Spirit on his behalf. Gideon was called to a work he himself was not equipped for. Think about this because this is true in our lives as well. He did not have military training. He did not have any expertise for the job. Uh, He did not have the courage or the inspiration for the job. It was not his idea in the first place. When God called him, he said, who, me? Certainly not me. He did not have the position or the respect as being a great leader to do the job. We would never have picked Gideon for this job. Guess what? Gideon would never have picked Gideon for this job. But God did, and God empowered Gideon with his spirit. That's what qualified him to lead Israel. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, Gideon would have been nothing. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, can I tell you, we're not anything. We're not worth anything. We're not able to do anything. We're not, we're not able to function as a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit. Gideon isn't the only one that needs the Holy Spirit to adequately serve God. We all need the Holy Spirit. 
Zechariah 4, 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Romans 8, 26, Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. But if we will not surrender our will to the Lord's, it will hinder the work of the Spirit in our lives. So what is the job then for Christians? Ephesians 4.30 Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Quench not the Holy Spirit. We need to be obedient. We need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit at all times. So the first confirmation of God's call was the fortifying of the Spirit. Secondly, look at the following of the soldiers. If Gideon's going to lead the Israelites... Listen, practically speaking, others have to follow him, right? People have to follow Gideon as he leads. John Maxwell said, if you think you're leading, but no one is following, you're just taking a walk. It makes sense, doesn't it? If Gideon's going to lead in the battle and nobody's following him, he's just taking a walk. He's not leading anybody anywhere. So uh, they did follow him. When he blew the trumpet, sent messengers to the people, they responded, and they gladly recognized Uh, him as their captain. Look at the response to his call. He called on the people in and around uh, the Jezreel Valley. This valley was not only one of the most fruitful spots in Israel, it was also a place of some great battles. In 1500 B.C., uh, it's the scene of the famous battle between the Syrian uh, states and Egypt. This is where uh, Barak defeated Sisera in Judges 4 and 5. This is where Saul was killed in his last battle against the Philistines, 1 Samuel 31. This is where Jehu killed Jezebel in 2 Kings 9. This is where King Joash was killed in 2 Kings 23. Living in and around this valley in Gideon's day, we have half the tribe of Manasseh, we have the family of Abiezer, the tribe of the tribe of Manasseh, Uh, we have the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali are mentioned here, they're on the north side of the valley, and the tribe of Asher, which is on the west side of the valley. So to these people, Gideon extends the call to arms, and each one of these tribes responded well. They quickly gathered to battle, 34 through 36, lists the gathering of these people together. The tribe of Issachar, which was right in the middle of the valley, was not given the call, probably practically speaking because they were surrounded Uh, Midianites had encamped in the midst there of their land. So uh, this was probably a practical thing there. Now we would expect, if you look at the history of these people, that Zebulun and Naphtali would would respond well. In Judges chapter 5, if you go back a chapter in verse 18, uh, these are the brave people that the Bible says jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. They were valiant fighters when Barak and Deborah led them against Sisera. Now, you might not have expected, if you have ever studied the other tribes here, Asher and the family of Abiezer, in in their song of victory against against Sisera, Deborah had singled out Asher and Judges 5.17 as those who continued on the seashore and abode in his breaches. They had refused to go to battle. There's always some people who choose ease and pleasure over patriotic or heavenly duties. They want the fruits of victory, but they do not want the danger of warfare. I think of uh, one of David's mighty men, 
love the stories of his mighty men. Second Samuel 23. Uh, remember Eleazar? The Bible says, calls him Eleazar, the son of Dodo. If a son of Dodo can do something for God, any one of us can do something for God. Amen? Eleazar, son of Dodo. Uh, the Bible says that at a time when the Israelites were def uh, de defying the Philistines, they were all gathered for battle. Then at some point, if you read, it's a really interesting chapter, chapter 23. At some point, before the battle starts, all of the men of Israel took off. They just left. And there's Eleazar uh, standing alone. What is he to do? Everybody has left. He's I don't know if he was their captain. I don't know if he was just one of the men. The Bible doesn't, isn't clear there. But he's there by himself. Look at what the Bible says he did in 2 Samuel 23.10. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. What a great story. He stood alone and God gave him the victory. That's not my total point with that. I want to continue the rest of the verse. And the people returned after him only to spoil. There you have them. And there's always some people like that. They don't want, the, they don't want to uh, fight the battles. Don't ask me to fight. Don't ask me to get my hands dirty. Definitely don't ask me to sacrifice anything. But these are the same people then that are more than happy to share in the rewards of victory. Simply saying all that to say, let's be men and women that God can count to be faithful. Uh, to, be, to be one of the ones that will do the work and be involved in what he asks us to do. At any rate, this time the people of Asher did come. They were involved. They responded to Gideon's call. Uh, the Abizarites, I guess you could say. A hard word for me to spit out. They did too. Now this is the group that just a few days before this are clamoring for Gideon's neck when they wanted to string him up and kill him. But now they're behind him as well. So with one accord, they came together to war against the Midianites. Now there's two things that I believe is happening here. And one I've mentioned before. But first, the, the Lord's doing a work in the heart of these people in the Israelites. They're ready to do battle with the enemy. They're ready to oppose evil as it ought to be opposed. But not only that, I think that people tend to follow principled leadership. I think we see this in churches. I think we see this in nations as far as that goes. People tend to get behind principled leaders. And often all it takes is for one man to stand up against oppression, against uh, wickedness, against cruelty, and people will get behind them. I think it's a blessing that Gideon is making this call. Maybe if somebody would have stood up for God before this, they'd have been ready to follow before this seven-year period started or, or ended. Proverbs 16.7, or When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Evidently, these folks recognized that God was with Gideon we're going to be with him too. We're going to follow God's man. What a blessing that is. Look at what it says in verse 34 and 35. Both it uses the words gathered after him. Uh, they recognized his guidance. They were not only ready to go to war, but they recognized and acknowledged that Gideon was their captain. And they were ready to follow him as he followed the Lord. Uh, this could not have been done without Gideon. And Gideon could not have done this without the people. It was a combined effort. Oh, listen. How important it is for a local church and, and a church body to avoid 
power struggles and cliques and all those things that we move in a unified direction to impact our community and our world for Christ. Uh, the people got behind Gideon. Now that's not the only confirmation and not that in itself wouldn't be confirmation because lots of people have gotten behind a lot of scoundrels in our history uh, both religiously speaking and nationally speaking but it is one of the confirmations we look at tonight because this was a miraculous unification if we look at the players of who got together as part of this great team. God was behind this. That was a confirmation. So we have the fortifying of the spirit. We have the following of the soldiers. And then finally, the fleece of a sheep. Now, God goes to, or Gideon goes to God, verse 37, verse 36, with a prayer. He makes a request for God to give him a sign to confirm his calling. He prayed that if God meant what he said, he would put out this fleece and it would be wet and the ground dry and then that wasn't enough, so he puts it out again. This time the fleece will be dry and the ground wet. Then he would know. Uh, God answered that prayer. Now this story is so famous and so part of our natural vernacular that we still use the terminology to put out the fleece. You've probably used it before in a decision you're making. I'm putting out a fleece. We, we've made it part of our vernacular even. The question is, was this a good thing or a bad thing? If, if you want to really get into a good state of confusion, read a bunch of commentaries on this subject right here and see if it was a good thing or a bad thing. It's about split down the middle. Uh, some believe that Gideon was acting 100% in the flesh when he did this. They condemn Gideon. They condemn his prayer to God. Didn't Jesus say, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign? Donald Wiseman, he wrote a commentary to First and Second Kings. He said, the story of Gideon and his fleece is one of those which Christians would desire to see expunged from the sacred volume." Another commentator, Halderman, said it proved that Gideon's heart was still full of unbelief. The demand for signs is simply a mode of unbelief. Instead of leading to faith in the things of God, it only strengthens unbelief. Now, others praise Gideon. Uh, the pulpit commentary, Gideon was so humble that he craved a sign that he was indeed the chosen and called one. Edersheim says it was not from unbelief nor weakness of faith that Gideon asked a sign from the Lord. So what are we, to, not that we take our opinion from these men, but it's interesting to me. I think of a story, two men lived in a small village and they had a terrible dispute. They could not figure out what to do, they couldn't resolve it, so they decided to talk to the preacher. The first man went to the preacher's home and told him his version of the story. And the preacher when he heard it, says, you know what? You're absolutely right. A second man came in and gave his version of the story. And then it was, of course, completely the opposite of what the other man said. And the preacher heard him out. And he, at the end, he says, you know, you're absolutely right. And his wife, after the man left, said, you, you can't do that. Here you have two men come in and they give you two different stories and you tell both of them that they're absolutely right. That's impossible. They can't. Both be absolutely right. And you know what her husband said. You're absolutely right. Uh, this is 
kind of difficult sometimes. We're looking at all these different opinions and try to figure out what's going on here. But I'd like to just look at four elements of the fleecing. And by the way, just to let you know ahead of time, I'm not going to answer that question. Was it wrong or was it right? I'm just going to leave it to whatever you feel. I don't think it's that important anyway. But let's look at a couple elements of it. Uh, he asked unnecessarily. Uh, was Gideon's call so uncertain at this point that he needed further confirmation? Not at all. Uh, an angel of the Lord had come to him. And he did not need more signs to prove he was to lead Israel. We've just looked at a list of confirmations that have already been shown. Uh, but, and it's a good lesson for us. Before we start asking God for signs uh, to discern uh, what to do, let's first examine whether we need more proof. God, it's Saturday night. I'm going to bed. If you want me to go to church tomorrow, wake me up at 7.33. You don't need a sign. You already know it's right to go to church. You know what I'm saying? We don't need signs for things that are already settled. This should have been already settled in Gideon's life. God has given us the word of God. This, by the way, is far more than what Gideon had to, to lead and guide him. We have the full word of God. Uh, and too many people, I think, search for signs when they already have plenty enough to know what to do. Do what you know and let God show his will through that. Now, the problem is not a lack of proof in our lives. The problem is a lack of obedience. Amen? So let's be faithful. Uh, he asked unnecessarily. Secondly, he asked, or he did ask reverently. He did probably not need to ask for more signs, but when he did ask, his manner was not irreverent. He showed a healthy respect for God. Uh, this is especially seen the second request he makes he, when he says, uh, let not thine anger be hot against me. He my, he, he did recognize, I know I keep hitting this same thing over and over. Don't get angry with me. Now, I referred a minute ago to the New Testament when Jesus denounced some people that sought signs from him. Matthew 12, 39 is the verse I was referring to. An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh for a sign. These comments that Jesus made were specifically uh, referring to ungodly people whose request for a sign was full of scorn and mocking to what Jesus was all about. They were not looking to support any belief. They didn't have any. They were looking to, uh, they were filled already with unbelief. It's the same thing as Matthew 27, 39, when you had a bunch of basically mockers reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Do you think for one second, if he'd have come down from the cross, they'd have believed him? Not at all. He rose from the dead a few days later and they didn't believe. This, this was not unbelief in support, or this was not trying to promote their belief. They were filled with unbelief, and Jesus said it's an evil and a wicked, adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. They didn't believe any of his previous signs, nor would they hear. Gideon was different, I think. He approached God with reverence. By the way, when he got his confirmation, uh, when he finally had it, he acted on it. Gideon's going to proceed from this point and do some... If you, if you read The Art of War, you're not going to find uh, Gideon's uh, strategy in there, what God had Gideon do. And so he's going to honor God from here on out. Number three, he asked successfully. He did ask, and God gave him the sign he requested. Now, this does not prove that Gideon's request was completely without fault. 
but it does show the grace of God and how He responds when a person's faith is weak. God always seeks to strengthen our faith. Can we just be reminded that Gideon was really in a category of a new believer at this point? It was just a few days ago that uh, he's been given this position. He's still growing in his faith. Uh, let's not be too harsh with him. We, we sometimes in our churches expect people that, that get saved or come to church to just mature overnight, and, and we can't expect that. Sometimes it takes some time. And uh, so at Jesus' attitude towards the weak in faith, uh, we find it actually quoted in Isaiah. Uh, he, he gave a statement that he quoted from Isaiah in Matthew twelve twenty: A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment into victory. Uh, Matthew Henry said, God is, a tender, uh, God is tender of true believers, though they be weak. So let's not go all the way to the other side and say that we interpret God's answering Gideon's sign as a blanket approval for all sign seeking you know we all go out and buy a fleece and we just use it as our yes and no remember the old the the eight ball we shook and then we'd ask it a question it would answer it we acted like it meant something as a kid we don't want to go out and get our own magic eight ball throwing our fleece out. that's not what this is about uh god's helping of feeble of the feeble does not justify the continuance of our remaining weak okay so we we recognize that uh, baby talk is cute in babies, is not cute in adults. All right. So uh, the same is true spiritually. As we grow, again, may I remind you, this should be our fleece right here. This is our guide, the Word of God. This is what we follow, and this is what is, uh, shows us what to do. Uh, let's uh, listen to it instead of constantly being asking for signs. And then finally, he asked honestly. When the sign experience was completed here, when he asked and God answered both of them, he didn't ask for any more. He accepted his calling and he pursued it with vigor from this point on. It proves that Gideon's heart was right. Uh, it was uh, his asking for this sign. It was a great display of integrity because he applied what he found into serving God uh, in a great way. So, was asking for the fleece a mistake or not? R rather than saying it was a mistake, I guess I would go as far as to say it was unnecessary. God had already called him. Uh, let's not waste our time on sign-seeking. But he did approach it with the right attitude. Again, may I remind you, he was not trying to get out of his task. He wanted to confirm that God was in his task. Look what he says here. If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand. And it wasn't a, man, I hope I can... Get, so the fleece thing doesn't work out so I can get out of this job. I think he was ready to do it. He just wanted to have this confirmed in his heart and his life. Sometimes uh, the reason that we seek confirmation is that deep down we're trying to get out of a job, not trying to make sure we do it. And so Gideon's heart was right in that. Some things that we can learn in this, uh, it's a, certainly a, a great, uh, great exciting thing building as we see uh, the crowd, the, the, the army beginning to be built. Uh, we'll get into next week some of the strategy and some of the things that God, uh, when God came to Gideon, um, didn't like the size of Gideon's army, neither did Gideon. But we'll talk about that going forward. Love this story, and uh, we learned so much from it. I hope that this will help to you tonight in uh, recognizing that when God calls, He uh, confirms, He enables, He empowers, 
We're not called to do something we can't do, folks. That's what I love about the woman that broke the alabaster. Jesus said, let her alone. She's done what she could. God doesn't ask what you can't, but he does ask for what you can. So let's be faithful. Father, we thank you for loving us, and thank you for each one of these that are here tonight and or listening as well. And we pray that you would uh, bless us going forward, help us to make an impact for you even this week. Lord, we'll see. Uh, look forward to seeing folks here on Sunday and just uh, another day of lifting you up. We pray that you'd help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for being here this evening. God bless you.